New York City defunds the police department, and the protesters remain dissatisfied, and the media attempts to cause outrage over Trump's daily intelligence briefings. This is the Otati Podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, well, it looks like defund the police, which seemed absurd on its face, has is slowly becoming a reality in the country. So, we now have New York City, who has decided to cut $1 billion from the New York Police Department's budget. Now, put this in perspective, the New York Police Department operates on an $11 million budget. So this $1 billion budget cut is about 10%, 9, 9% of its budget. Now, I did a little bit of looking into it, and it appears as though 88% of the police department's budget comes uh, is spent on compensation for employees. That's compensation, their salaries, their overtime pay, their benefits, any retirement pensions that they have to pay off. That's all worth about 88% of the $11 billion budget that they have. The remaining 12% is spent on operating costs, paying for transportation on their cars and filling up the ga- filling up their gas tanks and, and so on. So, in essence, what the New York City Council did is cut the costs, is, is slash the budget, the part of the budget that's used for the operation of the NYPD. And this is supposed to make the NYPD less brutal somehow? I just, I don't see the connection between defunding the police and decreasing police brutality. On its face, it seems that if you cut funding for police, what's going to be damaged is the ability of the police to respond effectively. That can lead to more anxiety in police officers, to to more, more mistakes made by police officers. I'm not saying we should raise the budget of these police officers because $11 billion is quite the sizable budget, but it seems as though if you're trying to correct police brutality, the correct answer would have been better training and providing more training and therefore investing more in training, not cutting the costs of the, not cutting the budget of the police department. Now I know that there's waste and, and, and fraud and I enjoyably saw one person post that in 2019 the New York Police Department spent $2,000 on cheese puffs, which absolutely seems insane. But then I thought about it for a second, and those cheese puffs aren't being handed out for free. They're going into vending machines and people are buying them. So most likely they're spending $2,000 on cheese puffs, but the large amount of police officers that are on duty 365 days of year of the year 24 hours a day are likely buying those cheese puffs and giving the police department an actual profit from selling cheese puffs i just thought that was funny now obviously police brutality is something that needs to be handled uh it's easy to recognize that there is such a thing as a bad cop And that should be the basis, that should be the starting point for all conversations on police reform. 
is that cops are generally good and we need to know how to handle bad ones. And I don't think anyone is, is denying that. And in, in large part, I, I think everybody agrees that there can be a bad cop and cops can, can do bad things. The problem is this isn't a good enough position for a lot of the people who are protesting to defund the police. Now, they want, they want uh, a reactive justice where they see some kind of wrong being done and immediately they want to react and blame, and blame the police and, and, you know, and get reactive justice. This seems all well and good, but reactive justice doesn't, it doesn't work. And we've seen that time and time again. We have due process in the country because we don't trust reactive justice. We've never trusted people to make the correct decision in the heat of the moment. Matter of fact, if you look at crime statistics in New York City, and I spent some time scrolling through these, there are actually a lot of times where a crime is committed and the suspect will be a black man. And the reactive justice would suggest that that black man should be arrested and he should be put in jail. But because everyone is entitled to due process, a lot of the times, if not most of the times, and I looked at these statistics, you can go on the NYPD and you can look at them yourself. They have them all lined up from the years 2019 to 2008. You can see that the vast majority of instances, a black man is a suspect, but the amount of times that a black man is actually arrested for the crime that's being investigated is actually less than the amount of time that they're a suspect. So, in essence, if you practice reactive justice in those instances, you would have more innocent black men in jail than would be appropriate. All innocent black men in jail is inappropriate. I don't mean that. I mean that you would have more black men in prison, more black men in the prison system, which is exactly what the left is fighting against. And by the way, the right is fighting against it too. We don't want anyone to go to prison just to go to prison. We want proper justice, but we want due process. And due process is a universal characteristic of, characteristic of our society. You can't pick and choose who has due process. It's difficult not to look at everything that's going on and feel like the people protesting, the left predominantly, is being a little dishonest about what they're really interested in here. When, when, you, when you see instances where it's okay to scream in the faces of black police officers, that I, you can't, it's, it's hard to convince me that what you're really interested in is black equality. These, the, these black police officers in particular, they're out there defending any community that they're put into, they're out there risking their lives, and a lot of the times they're even looked down in the communities that they're looked down on in the communities that they come from. That's awful. There, there's actually there's actually a, a movie that I watched a little while ago. It's called American Son, and I I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone. So I don't know why I'm talking about it, but it really sticks out to me because there was one portion of the movie where the detective walks in 
and the detective is a black man. And it's about a, a, a biracial family who went through a divorce and the son is black and the son is de- finding his black identity. And the mother, who's black, is essentially patronized all night in this, in this police department. And when the, the black detective walks in, she calls him an Uncle Tom. And I, I was brought up under the impression that calling someone an Uncle Tom is extremely inappropriate. I think it's immoral. I think it is very inappropriate. But that's essentially what you have these protesters doing to these black police officers in the street. They're yelling in the face of black police officers telling them that they're a part of the problem and that they're giving in to the system. Well, no, they're not. They're police officers. It's their duty to protect their communities. And that's what they're interested in doing. They're not arresting black men for no reason. They're not arresting white men for no reason. They're carrying out some kind of process and they're doing their jobs. And the sooner that we all come to grip with the fact that the police department isn't out there to get minorities, the faster we'll all be much better off and we can sit down and have a serious conversation about how to fix this country. I'll be right back. Outrage is continuing over Trump's intel briefings and the lack of the fact that he didn't get briefing on the alleged attempt of Russia to put bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan. Now, I think it's, it's important to put this in the context that the president is briefed on so many different intelligence reports every day. And it's split up into two parts. You have a verbal brief from briefing officials. And then everything else is put into a smaller intelligence report. Which is deemed to be not as crucial as the stuff that's given to the president verbally. Now, every day you have briefing officials that go through this information and pick out what they think the president needs to know and what they think is less important. When this information was put in his briefing, the briefing officials that day looked at it and determined that it was not appropriate to include in their verbal brief. It didn't rise to the level of crucialness that they deemed appropriate to verbally brief the president on the matter. Now, the National Security Advisor said on Fox that they actively pursued more information, but the support briefers made the decision anyway not to include it. And the National Security Advisor, after reviewing the intelligence, agreed. And there's really nothing more you could put towards that because it is their job to determine what the most important things for the president to hear is here is every day. So now you have the Democratic Party ginning up all sorts of outrage over this. Pelosi, in particular, is all over the administration for not being briefed. And the outrage began before she even knew what the information was. So now she's actually been briefed on the on the on the uh, on the intel. And after she's been briefed, she says she holds the same opinion. Her exact quote, 
I thought that before the hearing and has nothing to do with anything that we were presented at the hearing. In, that's in regards to her believing that the president should have been briefed. She believes that if it concerns Americans in uniform, he should have been briefed. I think everyone is accepting of the point that if an American life is at risk, then the, we should do something about it. And it's an important thing that we should focus on. But it's not a realistic thing to do to actively pursue and prioritize every risk to every American in uniform. Why? Well, because they happen all the time. They happen all the time. Pompeo himself came out and said, we get, we, uh, obtain threat, we get threats on Americans every day, and we do the best we can with all of those, with all of those threats. So what is the real point in bringing, in continuing to gin up this outrage over these intel briefings? Well, policy, sure, they want, they want another reason to attack Trump on his foreign policy. But Russia, of course it's Russia. So CNN ran a piece today. It was titled, Trump's resistance led intel agencies to brief him less and less on Russia. They are still obsessed with Trump-Russia collusion. Still obsessed. We've gone through the Mueller report, three years of investigation, three full years where they found nothing, nothing at all. And they were investigating him before he even became the president. While he was running a campaign, this president was being investigated by a sitting president of the opposing political party during an active campaign. They are still trying to connect a peace between Trump and Russia. It's never going to happen. They ought to give it up. Anyway, officials maintain that it's not true that... Officials maintain that it's not true that briefers would brief him less and less on Russia because he was dissatisfied or resisting their resisting intel on them. Those are the sitting officials. Of course, former officials, disgruntled employees, say that they would never lead with Russia and would save it for when it matters. But even if that's the attitude, isn't it safe to say that the intel didn't rise to the level required to be included? I imagine they would think so. If they save Russia for when it matters, and the point of a verbal intelligence briefing is to give the president the information that really matters, well, I think it's appropriate that the intel briefers withheld this from Trump and put it in his report instead of giving him verbal information on it. Now, this article doesn't explicitly make a claim that Trump is colluding with Russia, but that's the point. They're not hiding the ball here. They're trying to create a false narrative connecting Trump with Russia or some tolerance that Trump has when it comes to Russia. It creates a false narrative and it's creating a false belief in the readers of these phony news outlets. This false narrative and the false belief that these media outlets are trying to put in their readers is similar to the Russia collusion that many are maintaining and the left is still fighting over, by the way. There's currently a case that's going to the Supreme Court involving information that was collected during the Trump-Russia phony, phony investigation. And by the way, 
the media continued with their false narratives when they brought up the Ukraine situation, which led to the phony impeachment trial of President Trump based on false information, information that was knowingly false, but promoted through the media anyway. The media holds its head up to be objective while it prances around doing the dirty work of the left and the Democratic Party. Opinion work is great, but don't hold yourself out to be an objective outlet to deceive Americans to support your party's agenda. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this episode of the Otati Podcast, make sure to check back next week for more content concerning all the current events. And remember to hit that subscribe button and tell your friends. Thanks.